What if it's the Demogorgon? Oh, Jesus, we're so screwed if it's the Demogorgon. It's not the Demogorgon. The Demogorgon. <laughs> we're deep shit. Where are your actions? I don't know. Fireball him. They have to roll a 13 or higher. Too risky. Cast a protection spell. Don't be a pussy. Fireball him. Cast protection. The Demogorgon is tired of your silly human bickering. It stops towards you. Boom! Fireball him. Oh, no. Stop. Boom! Cast wait, protection. Wait, wait. It was anger. Hello everybody and welcome to another Fan Critical Podcast. Today we're going to be starting our Stranger Things coverage by recapping briefly what we thought about Season 1 and why we loved it so much and also doing a small preview to Season 2 before its October 27th release this Friday. And today I am joined by John. Alright. And battling the Demogorgon in the Upside Down is Gareth and Lucy in Australia. Hello. Hi. We are in the Upside Down, but we're in different parts of the Upside Down, just to um, point that out. Sadly, not in the same room. Just going to put a spoiler warning here. We are going to be talking uh, about season one. So if you haven't seen it yet, go binge it on Netflix. It's all there, ready to watch right now. And then come back and listen to this. Um, We're also going to be talking about the trailers released for season two. So there will be slight spoilers in terms of if you don't watch trailers. So if you're okay with that, listen on. I'm just going to go around and see what you guys, uh, your general impressions on season one and why you think it was such a popular culture success story. I guess this is kind of a recurring theme, actually, but it's even more than the story, um, which is is really good. Like we obviously spoke about narrative versus atmosphere kind of thing in um, uh, when we spoke about Blade Runner. And in a sense, it's kind of similar here except that Stranger Things has a really good story. But it's the whole whole vibe of it is just perfect. Like, it kind of captures, I think, exactly what life or what we imagine life would have been like in the 80s as a kid growing up in, um, you know, in like, small-town America. And it just gives you that nostalgic feeling for a place and a time that you haven't actually lived through. Um, that's that's kind of that's why I loved it, but a time that you wanted to live through. Basically, you say you say saying that after watching things like this, it makes you want to sort of grow up in the eighties. We are children of the eighties, but we were very very young children. We were just catching the sort of back end of it, weren't we? Well, not me. But you weren't the same age as Stranger Stranger Things kids, right? Well, yeah, I was born in eighty four. John is older. John is born when this second season is going to be set, nineteen eighty four. So there you go. In it in a way. <laughs> Lucy, why did you like uh, the first season? Watching it again, I didn't get to watch every episode, but um, I watched some of them and did a recap. I love the vibe, a bit like what Gareth was saying, but I think sometimes you watch films that are set in the 80s or are trying to take off the 80s, and it it really feels like over the top, and everyone's got weird Boy George eye makeup and stuff, and it doesn't really seem authentic, whereas I think this really did, and it felt like something that was actually made in the 80s. Um, obviously all the film references which I think we're going to get onto and it was actually really scary re-watching it I think I must have forgotten I think all the love of the soundtrack and the, the the actors and how great they were kind of took over how actually 
really frightening it was um it was just quite a unique blend of so many things that made it i almost perfect i would say for a show of that kind of genre so yeah i thought it was great well it's just nostalgia isn't it um you kind of get drunk on it um i think uh is it that different to something like eerie indiana do you remember that yeah yeah i'd love that show great show um I don't know if it's that. Uh, I don't know if it's that original as a show. Stranger Things. Yeah, really. It's probably like you said, like Eerie Indiana, but for adults. Yeah. That's the thing. I think. I think there there was a rumor going around that when the the Duffer Brothers, basically the directors of the show, were trying to pitch this show to so many different studios uh, before they went to Netflix and they would turn down like so many times and they mm-hmm. had to like refine the script and stuff. And the main reason they said they were turned down or, or not or not given, you know, the budget to make the show um, was because that everyone saw the fact that there were these kids as the central characters and they thought it was a kid show. Mm. And they, they just thought like, oh, but no kids will be allowed to watch this because of the content. Mm. And they couldn't sort of visualize this being an adult show which just had kids as the main characters. Yeah. And I think that's that's kind of your point. So like that it's like taking one of those, you know, those those shows that centered on kids that were for kids and now making it appropriate for those kids that have grown up and are now adults. I guess like uh have you seen the film Super 8? Yeah, one of my I love that film. Yeah. yeah. But like I guess when that came out, uh it didn't really do as well as as everyone thought it was going to do. And again, a lot of that is like, oh, this reminds me of E.T. and the Goonies and, and things like that. And, it, mm. and I guess uh, maybe it was just good timing for uh, for Stranger Things. I don't know. But um, uh, having said that, look, I, I, I enjoy the show. Um, I just I, I don't think it's it's an original concept, but <clears throat> but that doesn't matter. Yeah, I think um, I, I don't think the show does anything new. You know, it, but what it does do is, is it's like a kid in a candy shop of, of science fiction and adventure films. And it just mm. takes all of the best elements and mixes them together in such a lovely way. Mm. Like, um, you know, if Steve, if Steven Spielberg released E.T. now, I don't think it would do very well. No. Because it's too fantastic. It, it, it's not really grounded in enough reality. Like it you know the, the the government are too like nice in it and there's all mm. you know in stranger things it's like conspiracy theory the best parts of like conspiracy theory government and then like aliens or you know other dimensions and kid acting and you know the kids swear in it and they're a bit more realistic you yeah. know that, that you know that doesn't really happen in in et so it's but it does take you know you know like the bike scene in like one of the episodes where they're all getting chased by the government and they're on bikes i mean it takes that et scene and then sort of like turns it up to 11 pardon the pun you know where she like flips the van mm. <laughs> so yeah. it, it's like it has it just cherry picks the best moments of like adventure films or kid adventure films and science fiction and and what we kind of you know did grow up watching mm. uh, and turns it into this massive like you said that makes you quite drunk nostalgia trip which is quite i think it's just, just <clears throat> got the blend pretty much perfect and after rewatching it, I think it's so much better on a rewatch. Um, you just pick up so many more little references and little things that, you, yep. that you'd miss. Easter um, eggs. Little Easter eggs. Yeah, they're all, it's just littered with them. Absolutely littered with them. Um, what did you guys think about the standard of the acting? Uh, because obviously 
with a show like this, I think that the central characters have to be very engaging and sort of with kid actors, it can be quite tough. Um, I, I would say that the acting from everyone, so you've got Winona Ryder um, and the Hopper, I don't know. I don't know the actor's name. David Harbour. Yes. Yes. And especially the kid is what makes it so good because you, you get some shows that might have a good premise, might have good writing, but you're let down by the acting. And I, I genuinely think that the performances, especially from um, Eleven, Millie Bobby Brown, she's exceptional. She's like, she reminds me of Natalie Portman in Leon, that kind of performance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think she's she's obviously going to be a, a huge star. Hopefully she doesn't go off the rails, doesn't look like it. They're all they're all great, the kids, mm. the, like all the adults are great. And I do think it lifts it above just being some kind of derivative, like faux nostalgia show into something that must watch. I can't really disagree with that. I, like the... Um... We sort of touched upon it, didn't we, when we spoke about it and just how these quality child actors just make such a big difference. And Finn Wolfhard, who's in both, is just brilliant. Um, you know, then you've got like Gaten Matarazzo, who's um, uh, who's Dustin, Dustin who everybody just loves. Um, I don't know, all of the kids are just amazing in it. Whereas in it, there were one or two who weren't at that same level. There were more of them, though. I mean, there was, like, six or seven of them in it. I mean, it's, it's harder. Like, you can't give everyone the same sort of screen time when there's only, f- like, three here, mate, really, because, you know, Will's gone for most of the season, so you got, yeah. you've only got the three main ones to focus on. Yeah. Um, but, you know, in any case, they, those, they are just awesome actors at this point. Like, <laughs> I don't know, you just hope, you hope that they keep it together because there is a bad track record isn't there with child actors what do you mean like going off the rails or something <laughs> they do though don't they don't they all like yes massively I mean, that's yeah. a massive thing well apparently they were all coked up during the filming of this <laughs> um, um, but that's what you're used to you can't you can't be thinking I'm just thinking I've heard of a child actor that's gone off the rails the only one I can think of is Macaulay Culkin but Corey what about like Corey Feldman, Corey yeah. Haim, and all of those? Oh, well, Corey Haim, yeah, yeah okay. Drew Barrymore. Do you know John, what did you, did you, you can be quite critical of acting from time to time on this podcast. Um, oh, yeah, and I'm going to rip it to shreds again. No, there are any kids. Um, uh, yeah, it was pretty good, wasn't it? I mean, they are, <clears throat> and Gaz mentioned um, Finn, you know, being in uh, in It and this, but plays two very different characters. Yes. The kid has range. Yeah. Uh, and he's also made the smart decision of leaving Harvey Weinstein's uh, agency. Did that earlier this week, didn't he? Yeah. Oh, good lad. So, there you go. <laughs> he's got a smart head on him. Um, obviously, Eleven, uh, she's pretty good. Um, liking her too. Has anyone seen Logan? Yeah. Yeah, I absolutely love Logan. Yeah. Definitely similar, similar sort of role isn't it so yeah. quite reserved doesn't speak much but has superpowers I like so that. yeah i mean the, the kids are great but you know shout out to uh the adults yeah um uh, you mentioned him so mr harbour yeah um, he's great and uh and winona ryder is uh as the mother really good really good uh yeah. good on him good on him for making a career of it <laughs> um but let's have a go at uh at some of the other characters so this uh, 
Dr. Brenner. Oh, yeah. He's a bit nothing, isn't he? He, he? Yeah. I did think on rewatch, actually, that the Brenner Brenner character doesn't... I would like to, I would have liked him to be a bit more sinister and mm. a bit more sort of... Mm. Have a bit more sort of, like, scheming or something. He just sort of appears. He's so one-dimensional. What do you make of Nancy and Jonathan? The first time I watched the show was, like, obviously last year when it came out. And um, I thought that, at the time, Nancy really annoyed me. Mm. And, and just her... I don't know, it was her character... Just something about it really annoyed me. But on a rewatch, I've, she's actually really good. Um, I think it was just quite frustrating to watch her character at times. But then the whole relationship with her and Jonathan and Steve, which I think develops quite nicely and sort of has a, has a nice U-turn in it where, you know, Steve is like this absolute dickhead. But then at the end, he has a he- sort of hero moment and he, mm. and he doesn't go towards the sort of traditional bully which usually would happen. So I like the way it sort of yeah. subverts that, you know, trope. Yeah. Um, but I thought those three were good as well. I mean, I thought the acting was really strong across the board. Mm. I'm going to go through some uh, movie references and I want to see if you guys agree that you think that those films are influences on Stranger Things or whether you remember seeing them or whether when you were watching the show, you loved the fact that that was referenced, all of that sort of stuff, Okay. Okay. So I'm going to guess, though, from the off, that they all will have something to do with it. Otherwise, it, like if you just say, like, oh, yeah, um, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, that's the first one on the list. <laughs> let's start with Stephen King. Let's just, let's just start with Stephen King, who is a massive influence on this show. Uh, we recently did our It podcast and we've referenced it a couple of times already. Um, it and Stranger Things literally share so many, so many, so many things. They um, <laughs> battling a supernatural sort of demon or you know figure, and it's a group of kids banded together who aren't necessarily you know the most popular kids in school. They've, they're bullied. All of these things. It's that whole sense of coming together <laughs> and defeating your fears, essentially. Gaz, you saw it recently. Do you think that they are extremely similar? Yes. Um, but Stephen King more generally, I guess, is kind of, like you say, is a huge influence on them. Um, uh, I'm just thinking Stand By Me. That's um, just the kind of group of kids coming together to get like get shit done. Yeah. And uh, Lucy, I know you're a fan of Carrie. Um do you, what what sort of similarities to that do you see in this? I think Stephen King, there are a lot of bullies and it kind of, I think, I'm not sure if you mentioned it in the It podcast, but there's the horror of the supernatural and then there's the horror of what you have to face every day when you're a kid. Yeah. So for these, the kids, in all of the films you've mentioned in the Stephen King novels, they're terrorised by bullies or they have abusive parents. There's something in the everyday life that when they're confronted with something supernatural, they're able to deal with it on some level because they're used to horror, even if it's a lot more mundane. And I think the bullying in um, Stranger Things is not over the top, like I think you mentioned in the podcast with it, that the bullies didn't seem on the the same level. Mm. But, you know, they are bullying them for being different. 
for Justin being disabled. There, there's a lot of comments that Will might be a, a fairy, might be gay. It's not just horror doesn't exist in a vacuum for these kids. They are experiencing it in their day-to-day lives and then mm. they're confronted with it from other realms. And I think that definitely plays into it. I haven't mentioned Carrie at all, but there is a lot of high school bullying and I think the character of Eleven having these powers that come out um, when she's frightened or when she's feeling threatened is is obviously the major theme of Carrie. Mm. Yeah. So definite definite similarities there. Yeah, lots of blood as well with Carrie. And obviously Eleven bleeds every time she uses her powers. Um, mm-hmm. Did you realise that when the show is sort of set, I think it's like 1983 and the, set, the season two is going to be 1984, did you yeah. realise that was just after Empire Strikes Back comes out? In, in the real world so there's a lot of Star Wars references I reckon um, I reckon what you're talking about there though is I think a point that Lucy made which is that it is it's like it it takes you back to that time like it's it is it's so much like it's a show that was created in that moment and that kind of that's a good example of it because realistically you know people would be talking about they would be talking about Star Wars in... Especially kids. Mm. And these kids, obviously, are like a mini losers club, um, to reference mm. it again. And they, you know, they play Dungeons and Dragons. And they, that you know, if they do that, then they obviously love Star Wars. And on top of that, you know, they, there's references to um, Lord of the Rings. You know, the forest where Will gets taken <laughs> and is on the way to his house is Mirkwood. Um, sorry, and to say, like they say in the show, it's not Lord of the Rings, it's The Hobbit. Um, <laughs> but, you know, same, same sort of thing. And that's what I love. I love their little arguments about, like, no, it's not Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring, it's The Hobbit. You know, they get into all these super um, sort of geeky um, arguments about Dungeons & Dragons and Star Wars and, um, and Lord of the Rings. And that, for me, is just amazing. I love those little those little lines. I know the whole overall story is great, but I just love the little interactions when they argue about all of these really geeky things because it just reminds me of growing up and arguing about things in the 90s, <clears throat> you know, similar, just another decade, but similar sort of thing, you know? Well, I was going to say it reminds me of um, Len when we lived, uh, when we were growing up together and we used to play, we used to play Halo and you tried to convince me because we all named our Halo characters after Lord of the Rings characters. And you tried to convince me that I should call mine Gimli, and I was not happy. About it. <laughs> you, you, you're Gimli, son of Gloin. That's just the, that's just the way it is, my friend. <laughs> oh, I'm clearly Frodo, but fine. I'm uh, Aragorn, obviously. Um... Well, you're not. <laughs> not like Aragorn. Uh, aliens or alien? So the whole uh, obviously slugs slugs <laughs> slugs um the whole uh what's the word i'm looking for um so when they capture barbara and um and will the, uh, they use them as as well, hosts we assume yeah they use them as hosts like, them as just gestating that 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 theory that because at the end of season at the end of the season when you know they see like you said like they see barbara and they, and they rescue will they have to pull a big like slug thing from his throat, which is really gross. Like I w- just watched it the other day yeah, again. Rank. Um, and you're right. Like Alien and Aliens has a huge um, bearing on the show, obviously, because you know, just look at the Demogorgon as 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 a big bad. Yeah. 
Um, very similar to the Xenomorph in terms of it, you know, doesn't really die. Uh, they can't really kill it. It 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 is the same sort of you know tall, gangly creature yeah. that takes its prey, encases them in some form of like looks like you know, I don't know, upside down webbing or whatever, mm. and then gestates them with these you know face hugger slug things, mm. and we don't know what that does to the characters yet. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure this season uh, will illustrate how Will has been affected by that process and how potentially he is the centre point of the second season. Yeah. But definitely the creature of the alien, uh, the creature of alien and aliens and just the, the method of the monster is definitely a big theme that runs throughout the show. Yeah. Um, obviously, there's some other little references. Uh, we've mentioned the E.T., uh, references, which is clear to see, you know, that's a very PG version of Stranger Things. Um, nice little nod to Jaws uh, with the fact that um, blood is the trigger for the monster and could be smelled. They even mentioned sharks and there are posters of Jaws littered throughout the uh, episodes, I think, in some of the boys' bedrooms. But Jaws didn't come up with the idea of sharks being attracted to blood. Like That is a physiological oh. thing. <laughs> No, I know, but it's just in there. It's in the kids' minds, isn't it? Because obviously, yeah, they will have just seen that film. And then the music hit. <laughs> you remember that bit when that happened? Yeah, the Demogorgon chasing after them, and George just jumped out of a car. I was mad. <laughs> and obviously, poltergeists, which um, they're in the walls. They're in the walls, and the lights and everything that Winona Ryder sets up in that in their crazy house literally is quite poltergeist like you know the music turning on um the lights flickering uh creatures coming out of the walls all of that mm. very big very big influence on it so the, as we said earlier there's all these little lovely references to films that we grew up loving and being terrified of because it's there's a lot of horror elements in there um and i just think they've they got the perfect blend of all of those uh, little references there is literally hundreds more references to films throughout the thing like just in the boys bedrooms little artifacts they have posters things that they're watching on tv mentions on the radio when they're in cars certain types of songs it, mm. the list can go on and on and i'm hoping that um in this next season there's just a whole host more of um easter eggs we've already seen the boys uh in their ghostbusters outfits which is <laughs> very exciting and that I know what John's laughing. Inappropriate. I'm not talking about those guys. <laughs> I've got one more film. Yeah, fine. Go a bit rogue. Yep. So we got three friends that are looking for one of their mates that's lost. Yeah. And this kid is like you assume he's going to be the star of the show because he's like at the beginning of the episode. It follows him and then he goes missing and then you hardly ever see him throughout the season. Yeah. The Hangover. That's a bold claim and one that's <laughs> never been said anywhere else. So that's an exclusive. So uh, yeah, I quite like it. I quite like it. <laughs> that's good. It's true though. It is, yeah. A and um, and uh, that, that segues nicely into us talking about where we left off at the end of season one and where we're going to hopefully go with season two. So at the end of season one, Will has been rescued. Uh, we didn't spend much screen time with him, but we res he gets rescued. And that whole plot line sort of gets wrapped up, or so we believe. But 
there's a little epilogue section at the end of the first season um, that highlights just a few issues um, that might be the main, you know, focus of season two. Uh, mainly the fact that Will is definitely very much affected by his time spent in the Upside Down. Um, we see him having visions of rooms that he's in um, just being the Upside Down. Mm. And he also pulls a, another slug monster thing from his throat, which is also disgusting. Yeah. Um, big night for Will. Big, big night in for Will. Um, so we get the sense that Will potentially will be the focal point of this season in, in, but not in a way that he was in the first season because obviously it was all about Will Byers uh, let's find Will Byers but in this season it looks like you know he's he's with the boys but this time he'll have a lot more acting you know to do and a lot more screen time and it seems that he's going to be the centre point of the season what do you guys think about that? I find it I find it weird to think that he'll go from not playing much of a part in season one to being kind of one of the main guys in season two. I almost feel like I wouldn't be surprised if um, he just dies like in the third episode or something. Oh, really? Yeah. I think, I think it will be a jump for him to not do much acting in the first season and then be like the focal point. But I do think he just might've drawn a short straw with the kids in the first season. Do you know what I mean? It's like, he he might be a very good actor, and he might. I think he's he's gonna. It looks from the trailers that he's gonna have to really portray this sort of troubled kid, much like Eleven had to do in the first season. I think Will is gonna have to fill a lot of those shoes now, treading between these two worlds, the upside down and the real world that he's trying to readjust yeah. to after the situation, the trauma that he's been through. Yeah, I just think like if you are if if you're gonna follow kind of Hollywood. Uh, tropes, I guess. Yeah. Uh, you don't go from being a bit part player in a series that does extremely well, better than they thought it would do. Yeah. Uh, to them becoming one of the main guys, it's uh, it becomes this. If you were one of the main guys in season one, you want more screen time. Yeah. So I just I I, I can't see it happening. Um, he's it's again it's one of those where he's going to be important to the story, but not necessarily on screen a lot um but look i mean that's yeah, uh, that's just that's just my thought process but so loose what do you what did you take from the end of season 1 and what do you, what what do you think uh is going to happen in season 2 well where's 11 was my main takeaway i mean we believe she's in the upside down i assume because hopper's leaving egos for her um, how is she going to get back? Is she going to bring the demigorgon back with her? Is it really dead? Aren't there more of them? What's going to happen to Will? Oh, is anyone going to kind of mention the fact that <laughs> what's? I mean, the fact that Hopper kind of betrayed Eleven and the other kids in order to save Will. Is anything going to be made of that? Don't know. Um, Eleven's obviously going to make a new appearance, but I don't know at what cost her coming back. Is that going to rupture the sort of line? What do they call it? The wire between the two mm. the two worlds so i don't actually know what's going to happen but you know she's going to come back um i think will will probably die quite soon like john said 
Um, and I think he will be a focus in that. It's, what's up? What's wrong with Will? Will keeps throwing up slugs. So that's another film. <laughs> reference, Harry Potter, <laughs> Chamber of Secrets, Ron Weasley throwing up slugs. Um, and I think he, he, he may like become very ill and be in hospital or something like that. Or psychologically, it's going to take a toll on him, or it should. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure. Do we think the Demogorgon's going to make an appearance in the form that it was in the first season? So let's go. Let's look at the material that has been released so far and what we've seen. So um, the trailers that have been released um, are great. They're amazing. Um, great and amazing. Great and amazing. They literally. <laughs> it? it looks. <laughs> it looks to me like. Um, it's now on a bigger scale, right? It just looks like it's now, um, like it, it was just affecting the kids before and like sort of getting to some other characters. But now it looks like whatever has triggered this giant Cthulhu type monster in the Upside Down. I mean, it looks very HP Lovecraftian sort of god creatures coming to get them. Mm. And I love that. Um, Cthulhu. It looks wicked. Um so I just think the scale of it's going to be bigger. And do you guys kind of get the sense from the trailers that maybe the like you said about this the the the, the high wire as they call it in the show and they, there's the acrobat and the flea and how the the acrobat can't travel between the two worlds but the flea can. Mm. Do you do you think that the the high wire is going to eventually disappear because it seems like they're finding parts of the upside down now in our reality? Mm. And it seems like the two worlds are sort of merging together. And I kind of get the sense that the season might revolve around them obviously having to stop this from happening because it could be the end of all things. So it's like a much bigger jeopardy is at stake. You know, there's a lot more jeopardy at stake. Yeah, so it goes beyond a film about, oh, sorry, a TV series about a group of mates trying to get their mate back. And it turns into like, could this be the end of the world kind of thing? Um, and yeah, maybe it does. I I don't know if I'm that enthralled by that, though. Personally, like one of the things that I liked about it was the kind of like tight, small scale of it. I guess keep it small, and keep it personal. Yeah, yeah, and it's very personal to them. So I'm I'm probably hoping that it isn't like it doesn't turn into Godzilla, um, like another Cloverfield or something. Like that's not what we don't need a disaster movie. It's just you know this kind of close horror kind of thing that I like. It might be more of like a Buffy thing though, where yeah. I think it might just be a thing where like the portal to hell or to the upside down is in the town, and it's only really a select round of people that can fight it. Uh, I don't think it's going to be Cloverfield and like a massive monster like toy towning. Mm. Uh, Whatever the what's the town called? Hawkins. I've literally watched it the other day. And I Hawkins. Hawkins. Um, I don't think it's going to be like that. I think it, there will be peril on a larger scale, but it will still only be um, like those four children and eleven that can deal with it. Maybe Hopper, maybe Winona. But yeah, I think I think we'll see it in that respect, and it's not going to go like global. I hope not, anyway. So, John, I know you think that Will will probably die quite early on. But do you see him as the catalyst for the season? And do you think that he'll be like the gateway for the upside down to get into the our reality? I think eleven is is the gateway. Oh yeah. Um. You know, I mean, she explicitly says, "I, I am, I am the monster." 
Yes. In uh, in season one. Yeah. And then when she kills the uh, the demi gorgon, that's what it's called. Yeah. Um, they both die at the same time. So uh, I guess there, there's a, the suggestion that they are kind of explicitly linked. You can't get one without the other, and um, and obviously when she does the when they did a flashback and and she first finds it and touches it, there's a suggestion that that then starts it all and that that means it can then get into our world. Um, So I guess uh, I would say that more so. What was your original question? Do you think that Will will be the catalyst? Oh, yeah, sorry, yeah. Um, Well, I mean, I assume that if it even is Will, there's a suggestion that it might not necessarily be Will, I like that. Um, but then you could uh, the way that he reacts to that kind of because when he when he throws up, he doesn't seem that bothered. Um, as much as I mean, I would be raging if I threw up a slug or some kind of like leech thing. Um, but it almost seems like he could just be giving birth to loads of like mini demi gorgons, and they're just going to run right in the town. Oh God, that would be. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, be, yeah, yeah I mean, but that, that but I think you're I think you're right he 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 could be like spreading or something yeah he know, could be but... spreading the upside down yeah into our world and that is what allows this giant Cthulhu thing to yeah. sort of get a bridge into our reality yeah I mean obviously the Demogorgon well because of Eleven like you said opening this gateway between the two dimensions mm. and bringing the Demogorgon through the Demogorgon was taken things from our reality into the upside down yeah and obviously the creatures in the upside down or whoever this giant squid thing is they've obviously got a taste now for what's in our reality like the flesh the blood whatever um addict maybe the demogorgon was like just a puppet of this giant squid thing you know (laughs) Like as in yeah, doing its and bidding, and that would make sense. And that would make sense that like, they yeah. puke up these slug creatures. Like it, it would make sense if he. That's why he encases them and then mm. gestates them in this world. Yeah. Um. So I think that'll be really interesting to see. It's all disgusting stuff. It's all pretty gross. Um. You've got a monster that's so like impossible to defeat, seemingly for ages, and it takes a like, ridiculous effort to be able to, to defeat it, and then. It's like, oh yeah, actually, that's not the main monster. Sorry, this this one that's like seven hundred times bigger is the main monster. Yeah, eleven times bigger. Ooh. Ooh, turn it up to eleven. Pardon the pun. <laughs> <laughs> but you always have to follow it with pardon the pun because otherwise it's just not it's not right. Um, at the very first one of the very first scenes of um, Stranger Things season one was the boys playing uh, Dragon's Lair and they're on this campaign, and Will is. Um, having to make a decision about the Demogorgon, right? That's how the sort of story starts, is them playing Dragon's Lair mm. and Will has to fight the Demogorgon. And, it, you know, I think um, Mike says, oh, the Demogorgon takes you and starts a battle with you or whatever. And little did we know that that was literally the synopsis of the whole of the season, that mm. the Will was going to be captured by this Demogorgon and then have to battle it or whatever or everyone else would have to battle it and then at the end of um season one they're playing dragon's lair again in this sort of epilogue section right and will is once again the one who's challenged during the campaign 
And this time, the Thessal Hydra comes out, which is this like big, sort of snaky, you know, like tentacly creature. Almost like a Cthulhu. Sort Almost of. like a Cthulhu sort of thing. So they're obviously setting it up. And what's interesting is Will um, says at the end of that campaign, he's like, "Oh, that my campaign was so short, right?" Do you reckon that could be sort of like John saying about Will not making it very long in the season and how they telegraphed it so well at the start of the first season? Do you think that could be saying that potentially Will isn't long for this world? Um, his campaign is going to be very short and he is going to have to fight the, the Thessal Hydra, but might, you know, die some point during the season. Potentially. Yeah, potentially. Um, I remember it's, is it just before he goes missing and, and he's he rolled a seven or something and he's like, oh no, I rolled the wrong, like, yeah. I did roll a seven, so it does take me, yeah. Um, yeah, they're obviously using that as some kind of precursor. So that would be a good, that would be a good little Easter egg, as you call it. Um, pardon the pun, it's not a pun. But, yeah. <laughs> I think it could be something that happens. I don't think Will is long for this world. I just, he just seems so little and just pathetic, his little face. I don't, like you saying him, like him fighting the Thessal Hydra, just can't see it. Can't but see he's got it. the gumption. Well, so yeah. Something to add to that theory perhaps is um that if it is indeed the, the Thessal Hydra that's from Dungeons and Dragons, um yeah. I don't have extensive Dungeons and Dragons knowledge. I have Don't lie, written. don't Such a lie don't don't lie on this podcast, mate. I've I've been on campaigns with you many a time. <laughs> anyway, supposedly this Thessal Hydra reproduces by infecting people with lava. Um, which ah. is what happens to Will, isn't it? So, so yeah. they are definitely telegraphing what's going to happen. So that's you know, I like that. I like that a lot. Um, and do we think that? I think this season is going to be darker than the first season. Although the first season did have definite moments of like agony and sort of anguish, like when you think that Will is actually dead and he's being pulled out of yeah. the water. Yeah, that's grim. That's that's grim, and and it's. It's very emotional. Like, there's an amazing song playing. I can't remember what it was, but it's just such a good scene. Heroes. Oh, it's Heroes, but yeah. it's the Peter Gabriel version, isn't it? It's Not a different, yeah. yeah it's a Peter, I love that song so much. Um, that whole bit is really dark. And, you know, I think this next season will be going darker. So I'm going to ask you guys right now just to go around the group and see who you think is going to die this season. Death predictions. Because I think that we will lose more than one character this year so i'll start with gareth who do you think is going to die this season i think there's a chance that hopper probably yeah. in a sacrificial move i guess um i'm gonna i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna say that for now and see what you guys think i think hopper um because he doesn't seem to have too much to live for, so I think he would sacrifice himself if needed. Also, I think maybe Steve might die a heroic death. Um, let's go with Will, Hopper, Steve. Yeah, I same as me. I think I think I think Steve or Nancy. Wow! If like Nancy goes, if Nancy goes, what? And then, and then Jonathan and Steve hook up. Well, yeah, <laughs> I think, um, yeah. <laughs> so Jonathan and Steve could uh, could hook up. Why not? That would really sub like they subverted it the first time. Yeah. I think now it would that just like double subvert it. So I think, yeah, I think Hopper and Steve 
are the most likely to go in this season, just because Hopper's story is kind of kind of come to an end as far as we understand it. Like we 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 learned about his daughter and we learned about um how everything affected him and how he he was very heroic and turned himself from this, you know, beat down, sort of boozing, drug taking cop to sort of heroic figure, even though at the end of the season we kind of get the impression he's been maybe recruited by the government to help cover up yeah. what happened mm-hmm. in Hawkins. Yeah. <clears throat> so I think that'll be really interesting to see. But like Lucy said earlier, he, I think he's going to have to pay for the decision that he made to sell out 11 and, and, mm-hmm. uh, and the kids, whether or not he was doing it to like live and fight another day and like fight your battles as they come. Like he was thinking that maybe I could save 11. Yeah. Like I've saved Will. But, you know, that decision still was questionable, I think, as much as I love the character. So I think he might have a bit of, you know, um, he might repent for that some in some way and, and, and be heroic, saving someone uh, and might die. And I think Steve and um, the Nancy and Jonathan triangle, as interesting as it is and was very good in the first season, I think um, that will run its course in this one. And I think Steve might die. And that will pave the way for Jonathan and Nancy to be together, which we all kind of think is the right thing to happen, I guess, on a sort of, we're all Nancy and Jonathan shippers here. Um, So I guess the the last thing to sort of finish on is how excited we are for a brand new soundtrack for this second season, because um, the first season had so much uh, memorable uh, uses of tracks that we love from the 80s. Um, as well as its own original score, which was very synth-heavy and 80s-based, um, you know, it was such a major point of the first season was its music, even so much to the point that they ran Stranger Things parties in different cities. Um, I was lucky to go to one in London, uh, <laughs> and it was honestly brilliant. It was a DJ, <laughs> and the DJ was set up like the um, the wall in... Um, Joyce and the buyer's household right and they and the, the the lights were all like flashing and they had like posters for barb everywhere and they were pl- they do more I want to know yeah, oh, they, they will do and they were like playing uh, David Bowie and they were playing the REO Speedwagon and all of these great 80s songs that are in the um, that are in the first season so are you guys looking forward to the music in the second season and, and what did you think about the music in the first season yeah, I loved the the music. I liked how they didn't go too much in like the really obvious 80s songs. Obviously, Heroes is pretty much a banger that everyone loves, but they did the different version. Yeah. Um, the, the use of The Clash. I was like, that song's going to scare me forever. And then yeah. I completely forgot that it was ever used. Um, <laughs> the joltingness of that song. Um, and there was a Joy Division number, I think, Control, Complete Control that they played. Yeah. I just thought it was great. And it wasn't your obvious like, you know new romantic songs it was it just fit the, the tone perfectly again just that making it feel authentic rather than it's the 80s these are all your 80s yeah. chart hits it yeah. was more like what real people would have listened to yeah i love the music and yeah the uh, theme itself is just iconic now i think john what sort what, what name one track from uh, the 80s that you want to hear in season two um well no but it would have to be before 84. It would, it would. Well, you'd, for consistency, you'd hope so, yeah. I yeah. don't, I don't, well, I don't. No, because I mean, if, if Little Mix comes up. 
<laughs> but that's what you really want to hear is well, yeah, uh, yeah. shout out to my ex. Um, Just a touch of their love. Well, when we do our next one, we'll know a lot more about what music has been used in, in, this, se- in this coming season. So overall, we are extremely excited. It is this Friday, the 27th of October, where all nine episodes will be released onto Netflix in the usual binge watching fashion, which doesn't make it uh, necessarily great to podcast about because unless you have nine hours free and could edit nine hours of podcasts um, for release like the Netflix series, uh, which most people can't do, um, it's not ideal. So what we are going to be doing is we're going to cover three episodes at a time and we're going to release one podcast per week. So there'll be three podcasts in total covering the whole of Stranger Things season two. Um, we think this is the best way of covering it. And to be honest with you, we don't really, as much as I love binging shows, you wait a whole year to watch something. I quite like spreading out a little bit um, <laughs> to make it seem that I don't have to wait like another two years for season three of Stranger Things, you know? So I think this is the best way to cover it. We think this is the best way to cover it. Um, and that's what we're going to be doing going forward. We're also going to be doing a Walking Dead podcast. Our first episode will be released this Wednesday, which will be covering the season eight premiere of All Out War, which promises to be the most exciting and silly season of The Walking Dead to date. And if they don't screw it up, it should be really good. But (laughs) we never know with The Walking Dead. So... Yeah, that's what we've got coming up. I'd like to thank everyone in the Upside Down, which is Gareth and Lucy. Thanks for joining us today. And me and John over here in the regular reality that we all live in and is perfectly normal. I also want to say thank you to Aaron, who very kindly made and provided us with our theme music, which we use at the opening uh, and the closing of each show. So thanks for that, Aaron. Really appreciate it. And we'll be back next week with our Stranger Things coverage. And Wednesday, check it out, Walking Dead. So thanks, guys. Thanks for joining. See ya. Thank you. Bye. It is potatoes. Stop doing that.